I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lanshin Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift. No world tour racing on this week, but we have Brabantse Pale on today. Men and women's races. The men's a dot pro race, but a stack start list almost as strong as I'm still really. And there's also the Tour of Turkey happening as well, which will do a results roundup quickly at the end of this. But the men's Brabantse Pale, it's in the Flemish Ardennes, I believe. It's 205 kilometers long, so not 250 sort of monument length from Leuven, where the world started last year, to Overreza. It's up and down hills all day, not savage cobbles and they don't block off the size of the cobbles but the loop they do includes the Moskestraat and Hertzstraat. This is where Pidcock was very good on the Hertzstraat last year which has a gutter on the side of it 700 meters four percent but a steeper bit in it and he was actually not so good on the Moskestraat which is 500 meters seven percent with you have to ride on the cobbles. He was put under pressure by Ben Wah last year in this race so he won last year he was second in amstel last year and uh similar names here again alaphilippe remco benoit clock ben turner sheffield peedcock as i already probably said uh wellens bargy no mvdp no wout or i think yumbo at all but benji group of big favorites went early that's why this race is so good Yes, it's actually in like two waves that it did. First of all, we saw on the Moskestrad with 74k to go or 73 kilometers to go, that attacks already happened and a smaller group formed with likes of Turner, Sheffield, Nizolo even, Kamp, Okamika, who was from the early breakaway, and they were still after two breakaway riders, but that got neutralized quite swiftly. And eventually we came towards the next time we go onto the Moskestrad, where stuff went down, not necessarily on the climb itself, we saw people hammering it up that Moskestrad and doing quite a bit of damage to the peloton at the back there, but no attack really went there except for Ben Turner, who decided to go off the front there. And that's when other people decided to try and make a move after that Moskestrad. With roughly 49-ish kilometers left, we had Remco Evenpool with a move, and in that move was also Kampenarts, who initially had so much trouble getting to the wheel of Remco, and it was really intriguing because it reminded me of, was it... Two years ago, where Remco, I think, won a stage in the Balwaza Belgium Tour, where Campenarts was in his wheel for the entire time and then crashed in a corner somewhere. That's some vague memory I've got from that race. But anyway, we had that move by those two riders, but those were not the only two riders trying to go into moves here because it kind of started becoming that system where you've got a peloton with those two riders trying to bridge towards Ben Turner, and then the next few riders try and close down, and then the next few riders try and close down. And eventually, a group of roughly eight-ish riders formed with, again, Remco Evenepoel. We had the likes of Ben Turner, Magnus Sheffield, another Ineos rider, also Tom Pitcock, so a third Ineos rider, and their leader on paper before the race started. Benoit Cosnefois, the uh, unfortunate second of Amstel the other Sunday. Wadambar Gill in here as well, and Tim Wellens. Campenarts as well, although he seemed to be a bit in trouble by the time everybody reached to that group, and then eventually... 
came back together. And I think Rob Stannard was also in that group for Alveson Phoenix here. So that's the group we had ahead. When you see that group and the overwhelming evidence of Ineos being strong there, what do you think their strategy was going to be for the rest of the race? Peacock sprint, thin it out on the climbs, and then Peacock sprint, but that would change later. Like he toasted Van Aert in the sprint in this race last year. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because there's Remco in that group who kind of was doing more work often at times in the finale than some of the Ineos riders. And got Wellens and Bargui who are points hunting as well. That's always in the back of their mind, or maybe it's not at all. Cosnefra, I actually think the best on the last main cobble climb. Moskestrat, he's I thought he was the strongest there. But I think Ineos have been really good this year, Benji, in punishing groups that refuse to work with them. So when people start, mm-hmm. I don't think skipping turns with the Ineos guys was an option where you say you just ride on the front with Sheffield or Ben Turner and we'll sit on because Ineos respond to that by rolling an attack off the front and you're like, it's easier for me to just work and take a turn every seven rotation, seven guys than close these huge units attacking. It's how Kwiatkowski got away as well. So I thought there was an opportunity for Sheffield or Clock to win as well what about Remco where how does he win this race no sprint and he's struggling on the Hertzstraat I think uh, for him it's a very difficult situation because he needs to try and get away somewhere between the cobble sections happening because on cobble sections I'd say that he does not have the advantage over the riders he's with he's not necessarily too much worse than them depending on whether it's a, a technique climb or one where you can just hammer on it and there was a difference there because we saw that like you mentioned on the Hertzstraat there was trouble for two riders, and it was an Emko Evenepoel and also for Barguil. And both of them seem to have a similar issue where initially in this race, they went on to the gutter of the Herzstraat on the first few of these circuits. And then once that four group was formed, they started not doing that. And I'm not sure whether that's a technique thing. I would guess it's a technique thing. Because when they cross over the climb, they seem to be doing better, especially Remco, where he finds the power again. Either he's very good at recovering just after that climb, or there's an issue technique-wise why he dropped in the, that headstart. Do you think that's the reason there? He dropped and was struggling both times because he is not comfortable riding on the smooth gutter. And you see visually the difference in how much effort you have to do on the cobbles or in the gutter. In RVV, they block the gutters because on Moskostrat, both on the, they call back up Bargi and Remco because Ineos actually didn't really pin it full gas uh, with Sheffield. Uh, they sort of, between the last Moscow Strat with 25Ks to go and her Strat, they let Remco and Bargi come back, uh, even though Benoit was working with them. And then we saw on Moscow Strat, the second last one, Remco stronger than Pidcock, where Pidcock struggled last year as well, where you have to ride on the cobbles and it's a bit steeper. Benoit was good there. Sheffield, unreal the first time, or the yeah. second last time on the Moscow Strat. But Obviously, Remco can't win the sprint. He's not going to be able to ride away probably on the cobbles either. He has to solo somewhere. And he actually, I don't know, he kind of got marked out. Like, I don't really know what the plan was for him. Anyway, there was the pressure of the peloton behind. The next action, unfortunate action, when they crossed the finish line for the uh, the second last time before they did the circuit again, was the peloton, 40 seconds behind, Ineos and Quickstep cars were moving up through the finish line. Ineos one just squeezed through. And then the Quickstep one, 
there was a crash involving the Quickstep one. Alphalete went down really hard, and I don't really know who's to blame. I assume the cars were permitted to pass at that point. They were told to move up, so I don't I don't really know what happened. I think the Cofidis guy actually moved out and stuffed it up a bit. Yeah, well, I think there is multiple aspects to this. First of all, you've got the fact that the jury tells the cars. The, the following team cars to move to the front because the gap between that peloton and the group ahead is becoming large enough that the cars can pass. But that jury needs to keep in mind, most likely, that when it comes to that stretch where they allowed that car to pass, the quick step car was the finish line, which is a bit of a narrower section. And I don't know if that's then to be blamed on the jury completely for saying, I oh, you should pass here, or the quick step car to not wait a bit longer when they see that there's a narrower section coming up. I, I don't know. Like, it's it's something that probably people in, inside the peloton would be able to be better at when it comes to showing the actual uh, issue there. But it's certainly unfortunate when it comes to Philippe. He went down. At first, it looked like his uh, clavicle collarbone was, uh, yeah, was broken. He's, but he's holding it. He seemed to stand up and said something in French that it's relatively okay. So I hope that's correct. And uh, I hope that we can see him in full force when it comes to LBL. I have a hard time blaming the Cofidis rider. I always have a hard time blaming any rider that moves from the left side to the right side somewhere next to the peloton and gets hindered by a car. Because I think that they are the riders and therefore they don't necessarily need to be blamed when they move to the right, for example, and the car hits them in the back, you know? Oh, I don't know. He knew the car was there or should have. Mm -hmm. The Ineos one's just passed. I presume the car's yeah. beeping its horn. He's looked behind and veered like when you, a learner driver looks and then drifts. <laughs> so I kind of, and then he threw his yeah. hands up. So I, I don't know. I think it's a combination of a lot of things. Luckily, I don't know about the bingo guy went down as well. Uh, but Al Philippe seemed to be okay. Uh, but just to remind you, our show partner, Zwift, are the first ever named sponsor of Paris-Roubaix, Femme Avec Zwift, as well as the Tour de France Femme Avec Zwift. We have that on Saturday, our preview dropping shortly for that race. But the message here is get behind the Paris-Roubaix Femme Avec Zwift on Saturday. On its own day, it will be hype. Incredible race last year and now with the support of Zwift, hopefully even bigger and better. But this race, Benji, the other drama was also Remco Avenapol pushed Ben Turner when he was they're both trying to follow, I think, Campanats or Wellens Wheel. Um, Blythe called Remco a spoilt little, spoilt little brat for it on commentary. He's always, like, curious. The media perception of Remco, like the way he's addressed by journalists or commentators, it's so different to other riders. It's almost like no yeah. one would say that about Pagaccia or just another, like a Sheffield or someone. Like Ethan Vernon did literally the same thing. Is he a spoiled little brat in Catalonia? And we, no, he's not. He's not maybe, he's not a bad person for it. I think he just was like protecting his space and like he probably won't do it again. Hopefully, he won't do it again. And he, but he didn't get disqualified or relegated I, um, mm -hmm. I think that what he did was wrong and that it's a dumb move I yeah, find it sure. a good decision that the jury came in and warned him for it an official warning but I agree that when it comes to the media perception of riders while Remco does do it more often than other riders stuff like this I feel like when it comes to Pogacar's reaction after RVV for example there was nothing too crazy about that when it comes to the media 
response towards that. It was I all kind it. of figuring out excuses for the guy. And I, I kind of get that when it's the first time. But on the other hand, if it was an MQ, he would have been devoured by the media when it comes to his move there. But hey, oh, some people don't know. Uh, what Pagacha did was he went up to Van Baal after the race and literally screamed for five seconds in his face, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, in his face. It's a viral video on YouTube. Like, that's actually not something we see on video that often after a race. Anyway, that drama aside, we get to the last lap. It looks like the group behind isn't coming back. Remco isolated, Wellens isolated, Cosnefra and Bargui as well. Three Ineos. How are they going to play it? And it became pretty clear, Benji, with him on the radio quite a bit, that Peacock wasn't feeling at least superior to the other riders. He wasn't like, ah, I'm just going to toast Cosnifra in, in this. He definitely, I think, was like, Magnus, Turner, you guys need to roll attacks. And that seemed to start, I think. Well, first it was the Hurt Strat where they, they went and he was baiting Renko. Renko got dropped again, came back, but... Like, were you surprised Ineos went with that? Do you think that was a call from Peacock on the road? Most likely, yes, because on one of those Herzstraats, the thing, the second one where Remco was brought up on a bit of a gap, it looked like Peacock at the back was having some trouble. And I was at first thinking, okay, it's Sheffield or Turner that's at the back having trouble, but it apparently, according to the sports or commentators, was Pitcock that had some trouble on that. Or probably Moskestraat, not Herzstraat, my bad. So um, I think from that, Point onwards, the decision was probably made in the Ineos car or by Pitcock himself to tell the team about it and therefore rolling attacks. When then, not necessarily a bad idea, even if they considered a card Pitcock, because that way, if they roll attacks a bit after that last hill, then you'd end up hurting your competition while Pitcock can just follow wheels, I dare to say. So I don't really see a, a big issue with it either way, whether Pitcock is good or bad at that point in the race but it was pretty interesting to see how it ended up happening because again Remco tried again at some point to try and get away but he wasn't going to get away with three Neos riders in that group that was certain but it was uh Ben Turner that moved towards the front like he was pacing then Sheffield took over Sheffield was pacing and it kind of just felt like the gap opened up and Sheffield didn't know he was attacking because five seconds later he flicked his elbow <laughs> and I was like, nobody's in your wheel, mate, right? <laughs> yeah. And for those who don't know, Sheffield's a an absolute unit. On the last Moskestrat, he was the first on it, the strongest on it. Cosnefrad didn't attack. He got boxed a little bit. Sheffield did that thing at about 40 RPM. Unreal cadence, <laughs> looking like Jan Ulrich <laughs> regen on that. He it was like Kwiatkowski rolling off the front on Amstel on the top of the finish line, except this was seemed to be unintentional. And the second I saw he had a five-second gap, I was like, this is a lock. Already Remco's closed things. Bargier's come back to life and closed things, as well as Wellens. Turner and Peacock are going to sit in. You've got the threat of Peacock's sprint, of course. Never going to bring him back. I think Remco had one opportunity. It was with 10Ks to go. I think Turner was ahead of him or Sheffield. and. He sprint, closed his wheel, got to the guy's wheel, even though it was a short gap, and then stopped, even though he had a gap off his back wheel. That was the one time he could have gone clear, didn't take it. And I think Wellens was actually really, really strong as well. Incredible performance from yeah. Wellens. Anyway, Sheffield solos. The chase is never ringing him back. 
wins by over 30 seconds with the group going so slowly that Bling and Dylan Turns are coming back to them. And first of all, incredible win from uh, Sheffield. Saw it rooted El Sol, absolute unit. He, once he, he's like Thomas as well, like, but even probably more power on the flat at the moment. Once he gets that gap on the flat, just unreal. I've, I'm interested to see what they develop him into, whether they think there's some GC stuff there or if he's a bit too heavy. But second win of the year, he's 19 years old. When I made the video saying America has a new superstar, people are like, that's a bit premature. It's not. This guy is <laughs> this guy's unreal. Like 19 winning for months. Yep. <laughs> Is it the Pidcock effect that he's won this because of Pidcock behind or partially? I think certainly it's the Pidcock effect or at least the team effect in the sense they had multiple riders. The only way they got away was because the cooperation behind would be lacking and with two extra riders of Ineos there to stop all the pacing happening there. I dare to say that, uh, yeah, that's something that affects that. People are actively blocking in that chase. And... There's also the moment where if nobody initially reacts, there's already a gap and then Remco trying to close it, but it's not going to come back. Yeah, Pitcock was the effect in Amstel, quite certainly. He was part of that together with Turner in this race. And I think uh, the outnumbering of Ineos in these races has brought them two victories in a row. And I think that's a, a very strong performance for the team. And I would like to say that I see Turner and Sheffield as leaders for this team as well or candidates at least for this team as well when it comes to Roubaix if they are riding it definitely Ben Turner uh maybe the race is too long but yeah definitely turn I mean Sheffield she it now looked really good uh in the sprint behind though relegation police alert there was some drama Remco actually opened up first they're all on the right barrier Wellens if you look at the tape he is looking at Remco He's at the front, and when Remco initiates, Wellens literally drives to the other side of the road to the other barriers, just leaves enough space for Kosnerfra, who jumps, and he Kosnerfra is able to squeeze through the gap. Remco's blocked off. Kosnerfra comes second. Wellens third on the road in front of Bargi, Turner, Pidcock, Avonapol, Sanup, and Matthews eighth, turns ninth. But Wellens was relegated. We're pretty sure relegated, disqualified. We don't know... Uh, exactly, PCS is saying ninth. I don't know how that works because Pidcock and Avonapol were on a gap and they put him ninth. So it must have been you're relegated to the back of the group of the riders that started with you in the sprint. Uh, and therefore he has to go behind Avonapol, but Matthews wasn't there in the sprint. So I don't know how they got to put him ninth, but he got relegated <laughs> and... I think fair enough, Benji. There's not really any controversy about this one. Yeah, I think so as well. And obviously there's going to be people that pull this out of context, like we mentioned it earlier, that Remco always angry. Oh, he's complaining. I do want to add that it's probably a better choice to complain and still ride forward because otherwise you won't benefit from the fact that the other person gets relegated or disqualified from that sprint. So perhaps he would have gotten a closer uh, result if he uh, complained once and then kept riding. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. I mean, that's actually a big deal because going from uh, third here is 100 UCI points and yep. no, maybe 125 rather, and ninth is like 40 or 35. So it's a 100-point swing just about. Amar Gill moving up? Arkea uh, are gone. Arkea are not even a relegation team anymore. Oh, okay. They're, they're, <laughs> real, they're like 
they don't even need to worry about it in my view. Um, but that was Brabant's. Very, very exciting. If you want to watch some good tactics and some, yeah, interesting racing in the last uh, 30Ks of this race, definitely worth a watch. I think he might deny it and say his handling's great, but the evidence is that Remco loses literally the wheel the wheel in every corner. Every wet corner, he loses the wheel. And Cosnefroy doesn't. Watch Cosnefroy, how he's able to overlap and begin his sprint out of corners in the wheel, and Remco lost the wheel of Wellens all the time. It has to cost energy, and riders like Pidcock and Colson are just much, much more efficient, plus they have a sprint, which makes it easier to win big races. That was Brabance, and I'm still mentally not really... I'm still cooked by the fact that it's after Amstel. It doesn't make sense in my, my brain. <laughs> Usually it's the hors d'oeuvre or appetizer. Otherwise, Benji, the met, the women's race, stacked SD Works team. How, I mean, I flicked it on. I was like, how has Vollering gone clear? Was it classic SD Works roll attacks again or what happened? It was actually quite intriguing where there were multiple scenarios in the race. At first, we had a smaller group that was getting clear, including three riders of SD Works, Royster, Vollering, and also another teammate that I completely forgot about. So these those three riders were in there. Also Nivia Doma of Canyon Shram. And the interesting part is that every other rider that was solo in that group with those three SD Works riders was taking over from the SD Works riders. Like completely fully. And Nivia Doma, one of the riders that did it most actually. And eventually that group got called back. And then we saw a move by the likes of Royakers, Paulina Royakers of Canyon Shram on one of the upcoming climbs. And then Volring was together with her and attacking away with two. And the interesting part there was that once again, a Canyon Shram rider, Royakers, who in my opinion is worse than Volring. I think quite a few people will have that opinion. Although Royakers has been strong recently, if I'm her, I would not take over for Volring from Volring or at least a limited amount of time so that when it goes wrong and you know that you're going to get dropped by Volring at some point in this race, then you've got Nivia Doma in the back still and can still do something in this race. Because on paper, Nivia Doma is one of the three top riders for this race. And yes, you might be riding for second with Royakers and eventually she might be able to fight for that. But it's risky when every other team behind, except for Z-Works and Canyon Shram, wants to keep the race up. Did you think she should be taking over with Volring? not really to be honest like it's yeah. different if she's there with i don't know labu on fdj it's tough when you're there with the race favorite like or one of the top three favorites to be working is that really a good situation i guess the idea is benji you know we, we've spoken about it so many times now royakas pallet and shabby are really good at getting ahead of the race and then that relieves pressure on nearly Doma behind it did that did work. Nivia Doma was able to keep fresh behind, but is it optimizing your chance to win going with Vollering? The answer was no. Uh, Vollering easily dropped Royakas and basically showed that she is on for the Ardennes and the early season. The races didn't suit her as much. Remember how good she was in the Hilly Classics last year. And yeah, dropped Royakas. She gets subsumed. I think, I don't know. It's like, do the problem is as well, if Royakas doesn't pull Benji, what happens? It comes well, back, SD Works attack again or what? Well, likely that scenario that happens, but like it's at the end of a race. It's like the last 20 kilometers where those two riders are still ahead. 
and we're moving towards the next Moskostrad, for example, in this parkour. And on paper, Volring will be able to drop Ruckers from that point onwards. So if Ruckers sits on, at least the gap to the peloton will be lower. And it looked like Volring was willing to like work properly based on the fact that she distilled it like 70% of the work in that two women group. So I dare to say that it comes back together and then it's a new scenario that opens up. But I feel like she worked so much that the gap between those two riders and the peloton was so large that it became very difficult for when it went wrong in those two rider group, in that two rider group for Rakers to still fix it. And that became clear once Rakers got dropped on, I think it was the Moskustrad actually, where Volering went clear solo. And then you've got a situation behind where in the peloton attacks start to follow, Labu already went and was solo behind those two riders. Now, those two individual riders in each each one in a group. And then Corin Rebecca also tried to uh tried to get away as well and tried to get to Labu's wheel. And then on the next part of the race was the initial final last 10 kilometers. And again, we've got Volring with a gap of 20 seconds still on Royakers with like 4k to go. And we see in the background five or four riders come up towards uh Labu first. And that is Lippert of DSM, so a teammate of Labu, who is in third position in the race at that point. Also Niviadoma and the Wheel of Lippert. And also next to that, someone else that I can't remember the name of. But those three riders crawl back to Labu. The question there is, should Labu have waited for Lippert and try and therefore make the situation more valuable for DSM as well? Uh, I don't know. It's... It's... Uh... Labu, probably yes. I'm I'm being like, is Lippert as good as Lippert thinks she is or DSM thinks she is? And I think the answer is actually yes at the moment. Amstel Gold Race, she was third. So, yeah, I think – and I think they have been riding like 100% with her as focus. But it was still – I didn't think they were ever bring Bollering back because she does have that TT and she was able to solo away here with – what must be a bittersweet second, probably mostly bitter second for Nivea Doma, who was very strong on the uphill finish, dropping Royce Labu and Co. Uh, and beating Lippert in the sprint for second, Lippert third, back-to-back podiums in the first hilly races of the year for her. Yeah, I think getting close to Fish Canyon Shram and Nivea Doma, but still figuring it out. And I think it just went wrong. Volering was too strong for, for them today. I think ideally... It comes back and she's had an armchair ride. Um, but yeah, I think it's easy to say, oh, just sit on Volering, but then they might get countered by the other SD Works riders and then you're in big trouble. But maybe not work so much is the answer. Uh, but SD Works, Benji, there was reports of Royster. And mem- what did they say after Amstel? We missed it in the post-race interview. There was no plan? I have no clue what you're referring to at all. I think there was uh, an interview with Royster and maybe Chantal Vanderbilt Black uh-huh. after Armstall and Royster was, they were like, we didn't really know what the plan was today. It was a bit shades of um, the Dutch Olympics and World Champs yeah. post-race interviews. Uh, Mulman and Vollering as well, they were sort of out of sync on the on the Kauberg uh, as well. So I think, is that resolved? I'm not going to say yes, just because Vollering won. Um, they didn't really need that, that much teamwork in the finale, but <laughs> just something to watch uh, from Amstel Gold Race, but probably not a big deal anyway. Maybe bigger deal in Liège, Bastogne Liège uh, coming up. 
in a couple of weeks. But that was, I'll do the full top 10. Following Nividoma, Lipit Royce, Labu, Royakas, Persico, Mulman, Bertizolo, and Alexandra Manley, 10th uh, on Bike Exchange. Otherwise, Tour of Turkey, the only mountain stage. It was a Jebel Hafeet hockey stick stage. Finished on a 14K, 7% climb. Bit of headwind, apparently. Naira had already lost two minutes on GC in some crashes the other day. The favourites of the stage were him, Jay Vine, Han van Hocker, and uh, the enemy's brother, Anders Harland Johannesson. And it was quite a disappointing actual mountaintop finish. The favourites all marked each other. Seppel Vader on Androni, the Argentine vet, 30-year-old, rode away. He was second on GC here back in 15, third on GC here last year on Androni, and he basically was given a gap kind of like Nibali on Poggio, and no one chased him, and so he held on to win. He's now leading GC. We don't have really many mountain stages to come, and yeah, I think he should. Uh, I like Bevan Benji. Bevan really impressed me on this climb. The big uh, Israel startup nation rider. I think so as well. And he kind of took the strategy of like facing his own temple for the entire climb and hoping that he puts people in trouble and keeps enough of a tempo on to make sure nobody can get away. And it worked for the majority until that Sepulveda attack went. And I do like Bevan for the stage race, but how close is he now in GC at the moment? Uh, it's a I good think, uh, 14 seconds, so 10 seconds for stage bonuses. He could go for some of the, the uphill sprint on stage six. There's like a punchy sprint, I think. Yeah. Um, I think stage seven's the one. I, I, Androni, if Israel launched the second to last climb, there's like a 7K, 6% climb. No, 7K, 4%, but it's got the last K at 7%. I think Bevan can solo there and Jay Vine should try and go with him because they're bigger guys. Sepulveda's like 58 kilograms. I think they should work together and try and move up on GC and Vine can take the stage. Because um, I, I, I think Bennett will drop and the sprinters might not be able to bring him back. 14K is flat after that descent. Or is it you don't see a raid there possible? I see it possible, but I'm also looking when it comes to stage six, just when it comes to the finish, he's a hilly sprinter. He can get over climbs as we saw today. I think that finish on stage six might actually go his way as well. Sure, it might also fit a Caleb Ewan who can survive X amount of, like two kilometers at 5%. Ewan could regularly do, I would dare to say. So there's a possibility there for Bevan to at least podium and get some bonus seconds as well, I'd say. I mean, if, if Ewan can't, get top three on that stage six then he ain't doing well at worlds that's for sure uh or even stage seven he should be able to get over that climb to the finish otherwise no chance at worlds i think i'm not sure i haven't read the tour of turkey roadbook in detail for my bedtime reading if there's intermediate sprint bonus seconds there probably is yep. then bevan and israel should really be going for them as well to put pressure on Sepulveda because Bevan is quite fast. Second, I think, to Sagan or Colbrelli in a Tour of Romandy sprint in the rain last year. But that's all from us. Uh, the Brabant Roundup. We'll have the Paris Bay preview in the next couple of days, a bit later this time because I refuse to have startless changes ruin my mood after we've published the preview. Thanks, as always, to Zwift for supporting the podcast. And we'll see you later. Ciao. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 